0: There's this beautiful line by Bruce Lee. Be like water making its way through cracks. Do not be assertive, but adjust to the object and you shall find a way around it or through it. If nothing within you stays rigid, outward things will disclose themselves.
1: Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support on Patreon. We are loving the yoga classes with you guys, breathing together, starting our weeks together, and ending our days with you. Thank you. Today, we're sharing the mic with David G., globally recognized mind-body health and wellness expert, mindful performance trainer, meditation teacher, and author who found his way to a life of spirituality via Wall Street. It was not too long after 9-11 that David G. walked away from his career in finance and went on a meditation retreat with Deepak Chopra, which led to some time being spent in India, all the while in search of a teacher that he ended up finding in the most unsuspecting place. David G. went on to study meditation and spirituality at the Chopra Center here in Carlsbad and became instrumental in the expansion of the center after being hired as acting COO shortly after arriving for his first visit. Community, as he describes it, is one of his sacred values, and service is what drives him, although that was not always the case. David G is a sacred teacher who has educated millions of people across the globe to open their hearts, realize their power, and live the life they dream. He has an extensive free library on his website, which he's been contributing to regularly for many years, and if you've ever come to our Wednesday Run group, then perhaps you've seen David meditating with his sweet spot community on the beach. We're excited to have him here with us today, and I can't wait to dive in deep. David G, thank you so much, and welcome to the show. Thank you. What a what a
0: special <laughs> intro.
1: <laughs> you know, it's so it's, thank you. Thank yeah. You <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so wonderful to have you here. You've um you've been in my you were fir- first came into my awareness. When we were living in um, Newport, Rhode Island, with our hearts set on Southern California, although very open to wherever, you know, we were going to land. And a, a good friend of ours, a dear friend of ours, her best friend lives in Encinitas. I don't know what Abby's last name is. Um, and she was like, "Oh, David G, David G, like you, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta know David G and David G." And so that was when I started to, you know, um, come into your sphere. And then we used to do this Wednesday run group and we would uh, run on the beach and we would see you with this beautiful community meditating in the morning. And, um, you just kept getting closer and closer in the field. And so, uh, I really am. I know you're a busy guy and a lot of people want your attention and we're really grateful for the service that you're giving our community today.
0: Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, for, uh, your kind words and, um, Thank you for inviting me to hang out with you uh, today.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: you know we know we know that Carlsbad is the uh, the sweet spot of the universe. So whether you're you know in the water, on the sand, or um, you know just walking along the streets, there's a certain energy here. That's, yeah, that's uh, pretty. Pretty special, and I'm sure it's the same energy that attracted you is the is the same thing that attracted me.
1: You know, people always ask us, um, you know, how did you choose Carlsbad? Why Carlsbad? You know, how did you find your place? Uh, you know, what, what was your list of pros and cons? And it was, in the 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 answer I always give them, it's like it opened, it opened its arms, and it welcomed us in, and we had we felt that window open. And we had the opportunity to say no, right? Like we always have the choice to say, well, it might be a little too expensive. Well, it's, a, you know, maybe it's a little too buttoned up. Well, it's this or that. But we just, we were just guided by our hearts and, you know, the beautiful place where we live, everything's just been kind of handed to us, um, almost like this continued welcoming and thank you from this this sweet spot. I don't know what it is, but the energy here is very, very powerful. Um, And I'm sure you feel that too. Oh yeah.
0: And that's, that's been going on for a really long time. Um, This is, you know, a little South of, of Carlsbad um, is uh, where Paramahansa Yogananda uh, wrote autobiography of a yogi, um, maybe 25 minutes north of here is Deer Park, where Thich Nhat Hanh, um, for many, many years, uh, we teach and had, and had his, uh, one of his centers there, so there's there's something going on here, you know. to w- whether the people here are here or not, it's there's there's something energetic that pulls you to this uh, to this
1: space. It does. I feel so blessed. Um, so let's talk about your pull to this space out here in Carlsbad because you were a corporate guy, high finance, Manhattan, working in uh, working in the World Trade Center buildings. Uh, I think um, I would love for you to dive in and, and tell us the story of how you left that life and, and, um, and what that turning, that moment of, of turnaround was for you and how you ended up here in Carlsbad.
0: Yeah, um, I, I never, ever, uh, I never heard of Carlsbad uh, <laughs> be- before I came out here. And uh, I, was at, I was in New York, you know, I was born in, and raised in Queens. You know, I'm in New York. Kind of person and so uh i never thought for a second that i would leave all the magnificence you know of the of the of the east coast whether that's the culture um whether that's the dining whether that's the diversity you know like we can go on and on you know why why the east coast and certainly why new york you know is that special sacred place um but uh you know i started meditating when i was in college i went to upstate new york i went to syracuse uh, for my undergrad and uh, it was there that i first really dabbled in meditation it was an experimental asian studies uh, class there were 12 of us and uh, we sat in a circle every tuesday and our zen master stood in the corner and uh, we were instructed that when we had a thought come into our awareness we should raise our hand in his hand he carried an 18 inch bamboo stick known as a k saku and he would thwack us on the back um, so i quickly learned <laughs> not to raise my hand even though i was having thoughts as they were as they were coming through and so i left that school you know I was, I was i was finding real beauty in in the meditations but it was it was too jarring and 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 not very comfortable for me so i left that and started uh, candle gazing and then i got into mantra meditation and then mindfulness and vipassana and tantra and uh, then um, chocolate tasting meditations, and I was really like getting into some of these things I practiced for for weeks others for, for years um, and as I got deeper involved in the corporate world ultimately um, for a really extended stint uh, as a mergers and acquisitions uh, advisor, I realized that um, I had stopped meditating, and um, you know I was waking up at you know some ridiculous hour. Uh, and I traded in my early morning meditation practice for an early morning train ride um, into the World Trade Center, as you mentioned, and um, I also realized that balance was gone from my life, and I don't know it was because I had stopped meditating or because I was working one of these crazy you know 24 seven um type of careers where um, I was feeling no fulfillment. Wasn't really sure. Um, but in the wake of 9-11, as I was walking in Southern Manhattan past a row of cardboard boxes that people um, were living in, um, suddenly poof, this hand reached out from a cardboard box, grabbed my pen like this guy, pulled me down into him. Our eyes were like just a couple of inches apart. And he said to me, what's going to be on your tombstone? And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was like God talking through this person or if suddenly I hadn't ever thought about that. Um, But suddenly that was like this moment. I call these butterfly moments. All the sound stopped, all the traffic stopped, all the people vanished. It was just me and him and that moment. And we had sort of like a a dialogue where neither one of us were were moving our lips, but, and and it felt like hours. It was probably just, you know, a minute. Um, But the second it ended, suddenly he like, zapped back into the box and, and my legs were weak. I was dripping sweat. I was hyperventilating and I staggered over to like some steps, uh, that were in front of an apartment building. And, um, that was, you know, that was the shift. That was the shift, uh, for me. And so I went, I went home that night, uh, relayed this story to my wife and she was like, uh, you definitely need to quit that job. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> guess, guess what? There's this guy Deepak Chopra, and I'd never heard of Deepak Chopra. I had no idea what she was talking. I thought she was talking about Francis Ford Coppola. And you know, she said, "There's this guy Deepak Chopra, and he's doing a meditation retreat in Oxford, England. And you need to like leave that job and 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 sort of like reset." And I'm fairly obedient, so I was like, "Okay, did that." And um, three days into doing that, I suddenly, after meditating for like five, six, seven hours a day, uh, it sort of like returned me my t- returned my body to that to that space. Uh, so many years before then, when I was meditating, and I felt joy for the first time. Uh, in like 20 years i had that emotion actually had eluded me for for a couple of decades and uh each day it was uh like my you know i was i had been so feeling so empty and my heart was so uh wounded and but each day going through this process it was like my heart was this uh, white linen cloth that had been dipped in black india ink and each day it was like being draped through a rushing stream. And it just got lighter and lighter and lighter. And uh, I guess it was like the, the sixth day of the retreat. You know, I, I was talking to Deepak and I said like, well, what do I do now? And he goes, oh, you should definitely go to India. And I was <laughs> like, and, I, and again, I'm fairly obedient. So I was like, went to the, went to the embassy, uh, <laughs> went to the consulate, got a visa for India and headed off to India uh, in search of the guru. And uh, I searched high and low, uh, went high up into the Himalayas to Dharamsala to see His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Um, He wasn't there that day. Um, I traveled around. I prayed every day. I meditated every morning. I was practicing yoga like three times a day. I was bathing in the Ganges. I was like doing all the stuff. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, in search of the guru, talking to these roadside rishis and like, whatever. I was, you know, I was so thirsty. Um, and after about five and a half months of uh, of meeting incredible people, but certainly not finding the guru, uh, I was laying in a hammock in a cashew forest in Kerala, southern India. Uh, all these parrots were squawking and I was reading uh, the Bhagavad Gita, um, which is like, you know, I, I had read, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. You know, it's this ancient Indian text. Einstein read it every day. Gandhi read it every day. Uh, Emerson and Thoreau read it every single day. And so there I was with my my little copy. And um, suddenly, uh, as I read chapter two, verse 48, which I had read hundreds of times, the lightning bolt hit me. And it's where, um, you know, the the Gita, for those who, who don't know, it's really a story of the greatest warrior of all time, Arjuna, who's on the battlefield and he's about to lead his troops into battle. He's the greatest warrior. And but he's conflicted. As he looks across the battlefield at those 20,000 soldiers, he sees his classmates, he sees his teachers, he sees people from his village that he grew up with and he's so so tortured because this is a, you know, like a Hatfield versus McCoy kind of kind of battle. And so he he doesn't know what to do. And suddenly this this dude comes comes riding up to him um on a chariot and says, uh, Hey, what's going on? And, uh, and he's got 5,000 soldiers behind him, uh, you know, trailing his chariot chariot. And he said, you know, I'm the greatest warrior of all time. And I'm really, really conflicted. I don't know what to do. And the charioteer says, well, I'm the greatest charioteer of all time. And, uh, here's, here's what I'll do. Um, you can either have me and my 5,000 soldiers will go to the other side. Or, you know, you can take my soldiers and I'll go to the other side, um, you know, to help you work out your dilemma. And uh, and Arjuna says, I don't need more soldiers. I need clarity. So they can go to the other side. I'll take you, charioteer. And the charioteer replies, uh, good answer, dude, because I'm God. <laughs> I am, uh, I am Krishna. And so the Bhagavad Gita is this beautiful, magnificent 18 chapters of Arjuna talking to God and asking like all the questions, like why are we here and how am I supposed to live my life and, and what's important and what's the meaning of life and life and death and dharma and karma and like all these, these deep, deep you know, questions that he asks. And in chapter two, verse 48, um, he says to Krishna, how am I supposed to walk through the world how am I truly supposed to like make my decisions? And Krishna replies to him, Yogastha Kuru Karmani in Sanskrit. Yogastha Kuru Karmani, which means Yogastha, establish yourself in the present moment. Yogastha, that state of, of yoga, of union, of oneness, Kuru Karmani, and then perform action. And for some reason, like, I'd read that hundreds of times. And suddenly in that moment, it was like, yes, yes, this is how I'm supposed to live my life. I'm supposed to get really, really still and then be brilliant. And like, I leapt out of this hammock and and raced back you know, to Mumbai airport. Actually, there's no such thing as racing back. I think I waited for like a day for right. a bus to come, and then <laughs> yeah. and then traveled two days on that bus, and then waited in the airport 18 hours. Exactly, and, and then <laughs> and then flew another 20. <laughs> but uh, that's racing when you're in, when you're in India. Um, and then I came back home, and um, you know, several weeks later, uh, a couple of my friends had sort of like an intervention with me, because they said, "You know, we're so happy that you've come back home after six months, um, but all you do is sit around and meditate." And I was like, "I know. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing?" And they were like, um, "Well, you know, uh, why don't you teach other people to meditate? Why don't you share this with other people?" Um, and I innocently replied, I'm from New York. I don't care about anyone else's meditation. And, uh, and they went, well, if you really want to learn something, how about, you know, learning to teach it. So, uh, you know, they encouraged me like your, your boy Deepak, he's in California. He's got a center out there. So, you know, get on that teacher's path. So I went online, found out that the course that I had done with him in, in Oxford, England was like a requirement for this teacher training and then i went to another ayurveda mind body you know healing workshop headed out there and at that workshop um it was like a love connection uh deepak chopra david simon uh, the co-founder his partner of 20 years and i just like fell in love they were already in love you know but i was suddenly part of that and they invited me to um they said like what are you doing now and i go uh nothing all i do is sit around and meditate you know and they're like, uh, well, you have these skills, right? I go, yeah, yeah, I'm a turnaround. I, I can turn around companies. I can, I can really like, help the Chopper Center. Um, how come there's only 30 people at this event? There's supposed to be like 3,000. They said, "Uh, yeah, well, after 9-11, not a lot of people are traveling. I go, let me bring my expertise here. And then maybe you could share with me everything you've, you know. And so I'm sure they rolled their eyes at that one, but mm-hmm. they said, "Okay, let's do it." And so that began this really beautiful apprenticeship, where for ten years, um, as you mentioned, you know, I was the the COO, and then I was the lead educator, and then um, they appointed me the uh, the first dean of Chopra Center University. And for ten years, we traveled the world, um, Deepak teaching about metaphysics, David Simon talking about mind body healing, and and me teaching the meditation uh, component. And uh, in 2012, David Simon uh, succumbed to a uh, a brain tumor. We always said that was like the cosmic joke. Neurologist dedicated to healing diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor. And he he actually diagnosed it himself, Uh, self diagnosed it. And and after that moment, um, I was like, you know what? I think I've, you know, these 10 years have been amazing. And I think it's time for me to leave the nest. And to let go of this dream that I thought we would, the three of us would be here forever, but that's clearly not going to be the case. So let me get out there and and teach in places that I otherwise, you know, I'm not teaching. Let me go to other countries and hospitals and work in schools and, and teach members of the military and, you know, people in the corporate world. Let me do like all this cooped out stuff. And so that's what I've been doing since 2012. And um you mentioned that you you have run by me with with my groups. I've been since 2012, I've been holding workshops, you know, on the sand, you know, right there in Carlsbad. Um in a there's a there's a house there that I call the Meditation Nest. Uh but it's been the place where I've brought people to. Um thousands have come there, you know, over the years. And uh, we do sunrise meditation. We get out there. We walk down those stairs onto the sand at, you know, five o'clock in the morning before the sun has even thought about coming up, listening to the waves in that darkness, looking at the stars. And and then we meditate and sort of like halfway through that meditation, the sun comes up and, you know, that that horizon is like pastel colors. And that's how we start, you know, every day and we end every day, you know, uh, with the sunset meditation. So it's sort of like uh, one of the most beautiful things that I've been able to do. Obviously not doing that right now, doing that virtually yeah. um, for the for the past several months. Um, but uh, yeah, that's been my life. Um,
1: yeah. I love the way, um, I love that you just described the Bhagavad Gita because this community um, hears a lot about the Gita. I read it, pretty much every day, you know, just one of those things where you just open, this morning I got up early and just opened it, read, it was actually cha- um, chapter two, self-realization, read a little bit of that, shut it down, and then sat with those words for meditation, and um Yes, there it is right there behind you. And all the greats, all the greats have read this. You know, I love that you said Emerson and Einstein. And, you know, we, we just, we think about them as, oh, talented poets or amazing scientists. And really they were, they were meditators. They were, they were tapped into that guru within, which is what, um, what you found as well. Like, I love, uh, I love the story of like just looking everywhere, right? Like, okay, student's ready. Student is ready. <laughs> Where the hell is the teacher? Like, come on, show up. Hello. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, you know, we're from, uh, we're from New England. Both of us are from Massachusetts. So I, um, I can understand that kind of East Coast, um, little bit, uh, persistence. Yeah. The persistence, but also just the very, you know, logical, um, kind of way to go about things. So there's we so much.
0: We kindly refer to that as being a control freak.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh my God.
0: Totally. I Something mean people we'll call it high achiever, but it's actually a control freak.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times throughout a day I've got the let it go, Jess. Just let it go. Let it go. How do you wanna live? Do you wanna live right or do you wanna live joyful? Right. You know, joyful, joyful, joyful. Um Let's talk about, um, you had mentioned the early morning hours uh, that you'll take your group down to the beach. And it's a question we get a lot for people who are meditating or they're like, oh, I have to do it later in the day because of this or that. And can you speak about those early morning hours and why they're considered to be a sacred time? To meditate? Oh my,
0: I could, I could, I could talk for a couple of weeks on that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and especially for people who, um, embrace fitness in, in some way, because I think this is really, perfect, uh, really important. And there's, and there's, you know, there's, a, there's some scientific, um, evidence, uh, you know, I, I, uh, that was really one of the benefits of, of growing up, um, with Deepak and, and David as my two, you know, wingmen you know so to speak my guardrails as i really uh studied you know all these uh all this ancient wisdom you know they're both mds um david simon a neurologist Deepak chopra um an endocrinologist they always um and they've been doing this for a really long time but they always relied heavily on the science behind because they knew that you know so for like you know Fifty years ago, people were like rolling their eyes at meditation. It's cooked out, you know, fake thing, new age, dolphin, mermaid, rainbow, you know,
1: couple who, unicorns.
0: Who <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, who knows what that was? Um, but really, in the last ten years, there's been so much scientific study and so much really magnificent research um, from the University of San Francisco to to uh, University of California Berkeley to University of um, Massachusetts, Mass General, Harvard Medical Center. Um, University of Wisconsin in Madison, like so much research has been done. And um, so let me just share with you um, a study, not from any of those places, mm-hmm. but it's in a great book um, uh, by Michelle Geelan. Uh It's called Broadcasting Happiness. Uh, she's married to Sean Acor. You know, they're both happiness gurus and geniuses. Uh, she was an El Paso, Texas anchor woman. many years and so in in this and 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 she so she understood the power of like uh what actually happens to you if the first thing you do is turn on your tv and watch the news in the morning you know or open up the paper and that's the first you know exposure you have and uh so uh this was a study with over five thousand people who were exposed to negative imagery uh first thing in the morning first 30 minutes of their day it was a 56 day study as well uh eight weeks and so um Negative imagery is um, the news, the news, <laughs> social media, emails, uh, like all, all that stuff, uh, violent imagery. Um, and so those people, then, then she exposed them to that. And then 12 hours later, uh, she asked the question, so how was your day? And 12 hours later, um, those people even if they got a new job, even if they got a new car, even if they fell in love, were 40% more likely to say, uh, it was a crappy day. It was all right. No matter what happened, actually, in the 12 hours. And then she went through this process of exposing them to positive imagery, which would be spending time in nature, um, meditating, uh, watching puppy videos, you know, things along those lines. And, um, then 12 hours later, ask them, so how was your day? And even if they crashed their car, got fired from their job or got dumped in that relationship, they were 20% more likely to say, oh, it was was a pretty good day. So you may say, oh, 20%, what does that matter? But the difference between 40% you know, assessing your day as like, eh, crappy, 40% and 20%, that's a 60% shift, which means it's almost like two-thirds of the time, you're going to be more likely to assess your day based on what happens in those first 30 minutes, not actually what happens in the day, which is mind blowing. If you think about that, Because you yeah. do amazing stuff during the course of the day, but how do we assess it? How do we think about, you know, what, you know, what this day was? So 60%, if you do that, you know, four days out of seven, it was a crappy week. If you do that, you know, uh, three weeks out of the month, it was a crappy month. If you do that six months out of the year, it was a crappy year. You know, suddenly six years out of a decade, it was a crappy decade, and suddenly we start to realize that we are assessing and evaluating our life based on what that starting point is every single day, and so that's incredible. So I thought that was like a very very cool study. You know, and just yeah, that's to- a pretty that's strong, pretty yeah. yeah, that's
1: a pretty strong case the foundation
0: for
2: foundation. Get up in the morning, yeah,
0: yeah. So I like to wake up really early. I like to wake up just a little bit before the birds. Um, And then sort of like get pulled into uh, the day. Um, I also like to start coming from a place of stillness. So, um, you know, my practice is to, uh, that I've been teaching people for for about 15 years now is RPM, rise, pee, meditate. So, you know, that type (laughs) of strategy. And a lot of people say, well, shouldn't I do yoga first or shouldn't I run first? And, you know, I would say, well, there's such a low barrier to entry from the moment you open your eyes. Why not just slide into a stillness and silence practice as opposed to getting up, going to the gym, and then trying to slow yourself down or connect to that? Because most people you know, bail on meditation. I've taught hundreds of thousands of people and I've gotten their feedback. Like, why do you stop? What's the impediment? What stands in your way? And It's like, well, I don't have enough time or I'm not doing it right or... You know, I got other, other things to do. But the reality is, if we can begin our day with that seed of stillness and silence, then, and really what are we doing when we meditate? We're cultivating our ability to witness. If, if nothing else, it's not meant to give us like a high, you know, or, or, or a transcendent experience. We're just cultivating our ability to come back to the present moment. So that allows you to then run being more present. It allows you to be at work being more present. Like whatever you do has a teeny little bit of your unconditioned self, a teeny little bit of stillness, of silence, um, which then allows you to be more patient, more creative, uh, more present through the process. You know, we've all run and suddenly like, you know, 10 miles later, you're like, I have no idea what was in my head. You know, we've been in cars doing that. Which is pretty scary if you think about it. You know, <laughs> we've suddenly driven like ten miles, going like I don't actually remember looking out the window or holding the steering wheel or, or even that my, my car had a brake or a gas. Um, so, so when we cultivate our ability to witness, it allows us to just bring a little bit of space, this teeny little space, space between thoughts, space between words, space between actions. We don't control anything that comes into us over the course of a day. We don't control any of it. It's all external and the universe delivers to us whatever it's going to deliver. But then there's a space between what comes in and then what we do next, whether that's a thought, a conversation, or an action. And so if we can cultivate that space and be a little more reflective instead of reflexive, be a little more thoughtful instead of thoughtless, be a little more mindful, be a little more patient, be a little calmer, allow things to unfold, You know, there's this beautiful uh, line by Lao Tzu, it's like 5,000 years old. Um, Do you have the patience to wait until your mud settles and the water is clear? But there's a second part to that, which sort of has, you know, doesn't fit on the meme, so a lot of people don't know it. Um, But there's like a second sentence that follows that. Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? And so suddenly you start to realize, you know, and that doesn't mean sit on the couch and be a stoner or a slacker. You know that means can you prepare? Can you truly, you know get to that space where you allow, you know whatever's going on outside of you to, to deliver the perfect moment and you are in that perfect moment? You know, we've all done that. you know, said the perfect thing at the perfect time, you know, suddenly like done the perfect thing in the exact perfect time, you know, spontaneous right action and or spontaneous right speech. So I think we can cultivate that by starting our day with just with that little seed. And, you know, during my practice, you know, I'll ask some sacred questions, you know, fairly deep questions, uh, not like, uh, should I get, you know, three avocados or two avocados when I go to the supermarket or like, should I check that email or any, you know, not those kind of questions, but, you know, deeper questions like, who am I when I'm at my best? You know, like, wh- wh- what are the ways that I show up when I'm my best expression? Um, or what am I grateful for? Or how can I help others? How can I heal others? How can I serve others using my native energies, using my unique gifts, and my special talents? You know, so I answer those kind of questions, which really wash away anything else that that could possibly be out there. Uh, then I then I set some intentions, and a lot of people go, "Oh, intention setting—that's like such a you know a woo-woo, kooky, new age thing." And I like, "Well, don't you do that when you?" Type your address into a GPS or, you know, use, use Google Maps or, or, you know, your IMAP. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to go to that place, but there's a higher likelihood you'll actually move in the direction that you set. So I believe every day in, in setting those intentions. And I believe in a gratitude practice. There's science behind, you know, there's actually, you know, science that people who have a daily gratitude practice um, have deeper levels of fulfillment in life and are more physically And emotionally healthy, Um, and you know, after that, that I meditate. You know, you know, just sit in silence, whatever technique—it doesn't really matter whether you're using a mantra or following your breath or using mindfulness or something along those lines. And then when you open your eyes, because when we meditate, we're not looking for the experience in the meditation, but when we open our eyes, now we're back here with the rest of us, and now we've got that seed planted, and so now we're living more intentional lives we're living more purposeful decisions as opposed to just randomly responding to the world as it's coming at us Um, so i think there's there's not just science but there's logic behind just beginning your day you know starting the process um, just with a little bit of present moment practice whatever, whatever that means to you know it means different things to different people And a lot of people say, well, isn't my running my meditation? Isn't my gardening my meditation? Isn't my washing the dishes my meditation? And I would say, well, if you you think that, fine. But but realistically, all those things are actions. Everything is an activity that we're doing. And there's only one stillness. So all those other things, yes, it can be a very meditative yoga practice. It can be a very meditative run or bike. But the reality is there's only one stillness. So imagine if whatever you were doing activity-wise was infused with that stillness flowing through every aspect of it. Uh,
2: you touched upon, I love that so much, the, especially for athletes. Um, and you talked about the, the, the allowing, right? Just let's, let's allow. And as control freaks, we want to control. There's a fine line um, that we, we receive feedback on where we're, The athletes will say should i just not well why should i even just go out and run then i mean it's not coming to me like i'm not feeling compelled to go out so should i just not even try and we get this argument a lot like should i not try you're saying to allow where is that where is that balance in an athlete still doing the work for the sake of like doing the work for the sake of the work not so much committed to that outcome how can they find that that massage in that relationship
0: Oh my God! Well, you you've just mentioned it. So let me read to you chapter two, verse forty-seven of this particular <laughs> translation of the of the Gita, which is uh, translated by Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, of course. Um, so check this out. This is one of the most beautiful lines that that I've heard. I haven't, and I've read uh, over a hundred different translations, but this translation, this particular um, chapter and verse, you have a right to perform your pres- prescribed duty but you are not entitled to the fruits of action. Never consider yourself the cause of the results of your activities and never be attached to not doing your duty. Now, I always, always translated that as we've total control over our own actions, but no control over the fruit of our actions, yet we're all living in the fruit. And so here, right here, it says, you know, I just love that, that one line. Never consider yourself the cause of the results of your activities. Just like. Whew, that's intense. But I'm, aren't I responsible for everything? Aren't I, aren't I the one who like made, it, made it all happen? Um, and it's like, actually, no. Just like you could be the greatest kisser in the world, the most masterful kisser on the planet. And you know that most of the time you lay that kiss on and people swoon on the other end of that. Okay, They crush that. But the reality is you're not really controlling that. You could lay that same amazing kiss, do your special thing, and the person's like checking their watch or yawning or not in the mood or has got other stuff on their mind. And so you could say, but wait, I'm the greatest kisser of all time. How come you're not swooning? Well, because we don't control the fruit of the action. So our goal is to just keep cultivating and honing the thing that we are doing and let the fruits unfold. Yes, we can have goals, of course. Yes, we can even look at those goals. But, you know, it's, it's classic running stuff. If my, if my vision is always out there, I will trip over the curb. If I'm not looking where my feet are coming down and picking up from, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump into stuff. And so awareness is truly the full awareness, not our eye on the future. I believe our attention needs to be in the present moment and our intention can be in the future
1: beautiful
0: and that allows us to live presently having goals and agendas but being detached from the outcome
1: yeah and we're seeing that we're, we're seeing a lot of um we're seeing a lot of just downright suffering right now with races being canceled right athletes are very we're very goal driven right we're very yeah. goal driven and um so these races are being canceled And they're, they're really overwhelmed by the emotion that they had in the disappointment. And I mean, I've, I've heard words that, you know, I've worked with some folks who are feeling really depressed and, um, do you have any words for them? Um, because they're in that thick density, it it feels heavy. It it feels, well, why, why even do anything if I've got nothing to do it for?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, again, it goes back to that control freak, high achiever kind of kind of thing. Um, you know, so you know, we need to have desires. Desires are important. Desires keep us moving forward. Desires keep us moving towards uh, the fulfillment of you know wh- what we wh- what we long for. Um, but it's our attachment to the desire that creates the suffering. Desires don't create suffering. Desires are beautiful. But our attachment to that desire, because suddenly now, you know, we're not even thinking about the run. We're thinking about the finish line. We're thinking about the, the medal. We're thinking about the, you know, the, that feeling. So it's like, why do you run? You know, it's, it's classic Forrest Gump, you know, the great sage. you know, philosophy, you know, you know, where it's like running because I just feel like running, you know. And then the same day, like, I think I'll stop running. Um, So I think we always have to come back to the why, the why of like anything. So if you were only running because you wanted to win something, then truly, you know, your love for the thing was, you know, distinctly ego driven. And that takes us into a potential pain spiral. Uh, We start living our lives. It's called object referral. Things outside of me make me happy. So if I'm like a big fan of the, of the LA Lakers and they win, I'm happy. If they lose, I'm sad. And and I have no control over whether they, they win or lose or who's playing or what's even going on. But I'm basing my whole happiness in life based on this other thing, this external thing. So we need to cultivate our ability for self referral, which means our true deep fulfillment comes from within. Not so easy, you know, but, you know go if someone's only performing something for the high five at the end well they've sort of like missed the 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 poetry of it they've missed the magnificence you know of that thing and that's why um you know that's why different people choose different types of activities it's the thing why do some people go no no i love to I, i love to ride i don't really like running that much you know, but I, but, I, but you put me on a bike and I can just keep going. You know, this, it's not because of a finish line. Somehow they, they love the way their body feels. They love the, the movement of it. They love the speed. They love, you know, the whole thing. But if we're only going to like do the thing because of some celebration at the end, <clears throat> we've hitched our star to something that's that's out of our control. Not that we should, you know, be happy to be in the middle of any race and then it gets canceled at the halfway point. You know, because then it's like, but, uh, 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 um, but, you know, uh, certainly it's understandable. A lot of people have had their happiness and their fulfillment tied up to completing. And it's really in the doing. So probably the people who are more process oriented are better lovers, you know, um, you know, in the, in that process and everybody who's looking for like, you know, the completion part probably is leaving someone in the dust there so we would say we would say that um this can be cultivated this can be like well maybe you don't really like running maybe you only like winning so find another thing where you are like you know maybe you get a t-shirt that says um, uh i i win all my races and so even if you're just running around the block you know you'll like feel that you'll be getting those props from everyone around you like oh damn you, He or she wins every one of their races. Um, But the reality is, you know, we do the thing for the doing of the thing. Yeah. And we actually don't control the fruit. Mm. So, I mean, you think of some of the really amazing runners or um, amazing athletes who are like, you know, maybe in the top 10, but there's none of the people who might beat them in that competition. So, are they failures? you know or, or are they doing the thing they love to do and just raising their game i think we always need to be in competition with ourselves and yeah. and i think that that's the key so you know maybe it's your be- about your personal best you don't need a race to do your personal best you probably need you know a, a formal and official race so that someone can be witnessing your personal best but these are interesting times and again, we don't control this and who knows how long this goes. No one's ever experienced this kind of thing. Everyone's running with the parking brake on. Everyone is out there living their lives with the parking brake on. You know, we're getting squeezed in. The walls are coming in tighter and tighter and tighter and the streets are speaking at the same exact time. And so we have this like very, very weird dichotomy of this, this, this uh, being compressed at the same time as we're being launched out. And so these are not ordinary times. And I would, you know, ask those people, okay, so five years from now, you'll remember, oh, yeah, all those those races that got canceled in 2020, here's what I did. Here's how I stepped into my power during that. You know, here's how I determined... I love to, rip, to run. Here's how I determined I love to show up. And yes, there's something about the camaraderie. You know, we're all missing that. You know, I do events with you know 30, 50, 100 people. You know, for days on end. And uh, now I'm you know sort of like group meditating with people around the globe. You know, sitting here in my little treehouse. So, you know, am, am I lamenting it? Um, probably that first time I was like, oh, I love the group thing, so much more. And that was like, so COVID-19 ago, you know, at this <laughs> point, <laughs> at this point, it's like, where shall I spend my time? Lamenting the thing that clearly I cannot impact or really stepping strongly. Right. What do you want? This, this, right. You know, I want 2020 to be an amazing year.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: that's the that's the commitment I made in the, on December 31st. You know, that 2020 was going to be well, not exactly as I anticipated, but it certainly is amazing. And so I'm not going to be like, oh, that those are the two years I went into incubation. You know, those are the two years I ate donuts all day and didn't run and drank excessively and, you know, let everything slip. Yeah. You know, no. This is a special opportunity. For us to come out of this incubation period, to come out of the womb stronger, more expanded, um, with greater vision, and say, "I'm pretty multidimensional. I can I can thrive in a non-COVID world. I can thrive in a COVID world. Bring it, you know. Bring it. Let's let's do that."
1: Yeah, at the beginning of 2020, Beej and I. were feeling like this is going to be a great year for business expansion like expansion of of business and growth and um and with yogi triathlete which is something that we made a massive shift in our lives to follow this calling that came from within and when the shutdown happened and we had a couple of athletes walk away for different reasons i remember thinking that like no 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 you don't just you don't, that, that intention doesn't stop. That, that doesn't end because of what's happening outside of you. How can you be It's asking you to go in to allow that creativity to come out so that you can continue to expand so that you can continue to do these amazing conversations so that you can continue to put the good and the love that's within you in out in this world. And so how can you do that? And it was a lot more quiet time and then stuff just kept flowing and flowing and we just kept going, we just kept going and, um, and we are expanding and we are growing and it's been a really, we kept saying like from And I felt kind of those weird, like, Oh, this, you know, the constricting feel, I felt a couple of those moments, but, um, but we just kept saying, what an exciting time to be alive. What an exciting time to be alive. Um, so- I'm like, yeah,
2: the cha- the, just thinking about the change that everybody wants to make. It usually happens when we're, when we're pushed up against a wall and we've been given the gift this year of constantly being given this operate. We're, we're, we're in a corner right now. We're in a corner. And, and even more intense is just yesterday Garmin, which is the <laughs> the company that records people's, most people's data on their watches and uploads it and being able to see it went down and it's been down and, we 're just given that next level of how are you going to react like you, now you 're really in a corner if you thought you were in a corner Wait, with covid you can 't go on the yeah. trails of the roads now you 're really in a corner where if you don 't see your data you don 't see your run up there did it really happen so we 're constantly um, this this process is, this year has been constantly uh, intensifying you could say but but externally, like we just talked about externally it 's intensifying, but how are you reacting? as each thing unfolds, how are you, uh, embracing, um, each challenge as, as the opportunity that's pushing you into a corner to react? Like this is when most people change, right? Uh, loss, uh, death, um, losing a job, whatever it is, they're pushed into a corner and they need to change.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, building on what you just said, that's beautiful. That's so perfect. You know, we we know the story of the Buddha. You know, at a certain point in the in the, in the uh, well in Siddhartha's life, um, he said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit under this uh, this this peepal tree, uh, this fig tree, um, in the in the town of 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 Gaia. He sat under that tree for 49 days, and during those 49 days, the devil, Mara. Tempted him and laughed at him and mocked him and like did all this stuff. And the Buddha was just like, just kept meditating, just kept meditating, just kept meditating. And, and supposedly, story goes, this is 2,600 years ago. Um, you know, uh, suddenly on the 49th day, Buddha attained, uh, well, Siddhartha attained enlightenment. And then that's why he was named the Buddha, which means the awakened one. Um, and so the devil, Mara, um was like yeah <laughs> big deal so you attained enlightenment there's no one here to even confirm it there's no one here to validate it all right so like it's just a joke it's pathetic it's an absolute fake experience and the buddha looked around and said actually the earth is my witness and so if you ever seen and so his you know his hands you know were like you know in gyan mudra and so if you ever see those those pictures or those statues of the buddha with his hand draped over his knee that is the moment of enlightenment where he reached down to touch the earth so that the earth could be his witness so you know uh it wasn't garmin um twenty six hundred years ago. That was like his version of Garmin. Yeah. You know. Totally. Um, but like, you know, that was probably like a time of like abacuses and things like that. But you know, he reached down and was like, Well, you know what? I I, you're right. There's no one else here. I can't prove it. But you know what? For me, the earth will be my witness right here. And so, you know, that's what people have to do. It's just like roll their eyes and say, Garmin sucks you know, short the stock if you if you have to, you know, work with something along those lines. And (laughs) and and realize um that um okay, um that's all you got. That's first you don't let me run. And then when I do, you, you don't let me record it. Okay, I can still run. You can't stop me from doing that. You know, so uh you know we just have to keep, you know, there's this beautiful line by um by uh by Bruce Lee. Um you know Bruce Lee you know he's been quoted a lot talking about About water. But there's this like beautiful line you know, be like water making its way through cracks. Do not be assertive, but adjust to the object and you shall find a way around it or through it. If nothing within you stays rigid, outward things will disclose themselves. So suddenly it's like, you know what? This thing is, the rigidity isn't. Garmin, or the feed, or the Wi-Fi, or the or the lockdown, or like any of that stuff. It's the in you know the internal rigidity. It's the limiting belief inside. It's the constriction inside. And so these are like magnificent growth moments. It's like you know we never, no one ever at the end of the day sits down and goes, hmm, what did I learn about myself today? What did I learn about life today? No one's doing that ever, ever you know, maybe one person did it yesterday. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, so since we don't have that, that's why I recommend the second meditation of the day. You know, I call them the bookends of the day. You know, you've, the first one sets the table, the second one sort of like washes the dishes. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we've probably absorbed over the course of the day that we've held on to, that we've taken personally, that we've gotten pissed off about all this stuff we've like built up, you know, and then usually we like take it into our Into back into our homes for dinner, you know. It's like you wouldn't believe what happened to me at seven o'clock this morning, you know. Twelve hours ago, someone cut me off. You know, it's like who needed to hear that? And really, you've been holding on to that for twelve hours. That's what you took away from the day, Um, you know. (laughs) But if we can just have a just a mini practice in the afternoon, somewhere between like two and six, that's sort of like our processing, our letting go. I even I even you know sometimes do just uh, as you breathe in silently repeat let and as you breathe out silently repeat go and just like look do that for five minutes because you know there's stuff that you took personally you know there's stuff that pissed you off that you're like i will not let garmin go guess what garmin doesn't know you're pissed off and if they do they don't know it's you and if they and and whatever they're doing their thing you know they're not they're not happy That they're shut down. But like you suddenly start to think about all these grudges and grievances that we're holding against entities who don't even know we're holding the grudge or the grievance. So like who's suffering? It's not Garmin. You know, because people aren't gonna be like, fine, I'm gonna unsubscribe from that. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're gonna they're gonna be so grateful when it comes back. You know, and then you know they're going to get the next Garmin. You know, watch. You know, (laughs) right. Then they're going to upgrade it, and they're going (laughs) to give them more
1: money. But you know, it's it's a it's a drug, right? Like if if your drug if your drug dealer is dry, you just wait for the next supply, and then you're like, yeah, I'll take double. Right. Exactly. You know, so and every I, once in
0: a while, every once in a while, you bump into like a new drug dealer who's got like something else. But the reality is, within our worlds, you know, someone said to me, "Why don't you like lose all that Apple stuff?" And I'm like, "Apple, I have an iPhone. I've got a MacBook Pro. I send them, you know, ten dollars a month for storage. Uh, I've got AirPods. I I can't leave ever leave Apple. I'm I'm so like embedded and hooked into that. And so suddenly, you know, we've we've made these relationships with these these other companies and. You know, so when they suck, we have to go like, well, you know, I love so much about them. They're allowed to suck in in some other areas as well. Let me not harp on their sucking. Let me, you know, look at look at the whole thing. That's how we should view all our relationships. You know that. You know the pros and the cons of, of, of all aspects of
1: it. Right. Are we in the problem or are we in the solution, right? right. Because those two things are they're born at the same time and they're contrasting energies, so you can't be in both of them at the same time. And I found that being in the solution mode is um, it, it allows for so much more flow in life, but it also requires you to stand up to that that ego voice, right? And just like um, just like Siddhartha, as he was sitting there and the devil was tempting him um, and saying like, oh, okay, well, you got it, but guess what? Nobody can see it. You know, he stayed in that solution mode and he said, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because the earth is my witness, right? So when when I get into that, if I get into that neuro looping, I had a, a really minute little thing yesterday that my mind want to catastrophize about, And um, so I was like, okay. I just let it. I was like, catastrophize. I want to see what you come up with, and it left me laughing, you know, because it was so insane. And so one of my little go-to mantras when I get into that looping is just like, hey, I can do this all day long. I can watch you all day long, because. I've created that gap. And I think, and you say at the end of your guided meditations, um, which by the way, thank you. I've been doing your guided meditations at night for my second meditation. Um, I highly encourage everybody to get over. You have, in, in, I mean, when you say you have a free library, you have like a, like a Ivy storage. League school. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, no, I, I feel like you should be paying a lot more than $10 for your storage. Like there's a lot of content up there and um and yeah so doing that second meditation is um is so big to what i like to say is like you start to create your marinade for sleep you know so last night my marinade for sleep was a meditation that i did with you on healing the world and at the end of your meditations you always say i'll see you in the gap and what is what does that mean i love that
0: well really, you know, the gap, um, I, I think that's a term that was actually started by the, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, you know, meaning that like when you, that you attain this certain Zen state during, during meditation and they always, you know, but again, the high achievers go like, well, oh, I didn't get into the gap or like, Oh, I'm getting into the come on gap. Come on gap. Come on. <laughs> um, so, you know, even that has been like, you know, trounced by, by control freaks. Um, but, um, You know, there's a space that we all experience in our meditation, as long as we show up you know, consistently for it. It's always about consistency, not duration. So a lot of people say, well, I don't have a half hour. Like, who said a half hour? How about 16 seconds? How about a minute? How about give yourself that gift of just a little stillness and silence? We know scientifically that your brain works better. If you give yourself like some kind of break every 45 minutes even. Um, So that gap is that space where maybe it's a flicker. In Sanskrit, they call this atma darshan, glimpsing the soul. Maybe it's just a flicker where you're like, oh, did I just fall asleep? Uh, that meditation, you know, it felt like a, a second. It was actually 10 minutes or, you know, whatever. So it's that space, you know, it's the space between thoughts. The space between, you know, think about like even music. There has to be a space between the notes, Cause if there's not, it's just, eh, but music is created by there being a space. So there's, you know, you're not your body. You have a body. That's why you need to like really take care of it. Uh, You're not your mind. You have a mind, you know, like, so we have to like realize like, so what are we deeper, deeper beneath all this, this flesh casing that we're sealed in for the span of a lifetime? You know, we are that gap. We are that space. So we are the space, the space between breath, the space between thought, the space between words and, and actions. And that's what we are really cultivating and expanding, our ability to connect to that space of who we are. And sort of like let go of the of the garments and the winnings and the, you know, and this doesn't mean, oh, are you telling me I shouldn't care about material things in life? Like, no, no. Abundance is amazing. Fill your life with all these material gadgets and whatever. Stuff is great. I'm a hoarder. So, you know, I, I, I have deeper issues than, than, than that. Um, but, you know, again, we go back to like, well, are you going to live a self-referred life? you are you going to live an object-referred life? And the more joy and pleasure and expansion and fun um, and satisfaction you can get internally, like, so if anyone's ever said to you, people say this to me occasionally, like, I'll say something, I'll mumble something and then start laughing hysterically and no one's even heard what I've said, but they just see me laughing and they say, you, you really enjoy hanging out with yourself. You love like entertaining yourself, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it's just it's so funny, this this thought I had and, and giggling over it, you know? So <clears throat> if we can cultivate our ability to to live more from our own source, as opposed to finding the satisfaction because, you know, we've all like saved up for something. Then we've gotten the thing and then we like loving it. And then suddenly it gets a nick or a dent or a bump or it stops working or it's whatever. And then 10 years later, we're like, we got the new thing already. We didn't even, we were so attached to that thing. So again, it comes back to like attachment. We should have all this joy and all this fun and all this abundance. It's just when we start to cling to it a little too tightly, that's where the, where the pain you know, comes in, and I'm sure as a meditator, you you get that. You know this happens naturally. You don't have to even be like studying or exploring other philosophies. You just have to be connecting to that space, and suddenly it's like, I love connecting to that space. You know, I know I know that that space, you know, I meditated I don't know, five hours ago, four hours ago, but it's 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 here. It's part of this. I can feel the space you know, the, so that is the gap, you know, we're sort of like hanging out in the gap. You're having a conversation.
1: I love it. That's
2: awesome.
1: I think that's a, I think that's a perfect place to wrap this up. That was beautiful, beautiful, um, sharing. Thank you so much for being in service.
2: Yeah. And the, and the clarity for our, our audience, you know, we have so many athletes and, and to bring the, the mindfulness into sports and endurance into what people believe you just said it like it's the body it's not my body it's the body and the mind um bringing that mindfulness into this arena of endurance sports and and the willpower that they have it's it's that missing component it's really it's really allowing them to to tap into who they are understanding that everything that they believe they've been working on has served a purpose but there's a higher connection and a higher um Driver that they actually can work on without the sweat and blood and and tears, they can actually just sit still and cultivate that. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're just the whole
0: concept of mindful performance. Mm -hmm. You know, what whatever it is that we're doing, whether we're singing a song, or running a race, or biking, or hanging in a in a yoga pose, like you know, pick the thing. Doesn't doesn't even matter. You know if you know if we can be um, an expanded witness. In whatever activity that we're doing, that's transcendent. That's the spiritual experience. You know, it's not just getting into an asana, you know, holding the pose. It's like suddenly in that moment, like becoming the pose, being the thing. Same thing with running. Where suddenly you're just like, suddenly as your heel strikes, you know, and suddenly you're you're feeling every single micron of the bottom of your foot. Suddenly the whole running is unfolding in slow motion. That's what meditation can can deliver to you. You know, and yes, you can always speed it up, but you know, when you can really pay attention to every single subtlety of your practice, whether it's running, whether it's yoga, whether it's biking, whether it's swimming, you know, pick pick the thing. Um, There's so much more joy in that, that it's never about the outcome. It's it's like, who cares about the outcome? Doing this thing just felt so amazing. I want to keep doing it.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure we're going to run into each other in the physical at some point in this amazing little sweet spot of the universe here in Carlsbad. We are incredibly grateful for your time this morning, David G. Thank you. And we're going to put links to all your uh, goings on in uh, in the show notes and people can connect with you no matter where they live, no matter what time zone they're in. And I highly encourage everyone to check out your library of meditations. I love just how you're, um, you know, you, you can talk about the universe and unconditional love and welcoming in the flow and all of that, but you also, you've, you've never lost that kind of um, East Coast, like let's just get down to business, make this thing logical and keep our feet on the ground. And I really appreciate that. And I think our community well, thank will you. as
0: well. Thanks so much. And uh, thank you for all the magnificent work that you do. Stay strong. Um, we will, you know, we can hold our breath, for six months, so we can learn how to breathe. So, you know, that's, that's a choice. Which shall we choose?